What are you thankful for? Um, my first snacks. You're thankful for snacks? Uh, for my cousin. Midnight. Who's Midnight? Midnight's a black cat. Tablets and trash cans because they help you not litter. Uh, clean up my toys. Uh, I love my mom and dad. I'm thankful for my church and everybody who supports me in my life. I'm thankful for my church and I'm thankful for God dying on the cross for us. <laughs> now we got to follow ultimate cuteness on uh, the screen, so great. Um, we are not going to show the picture, Casey, okay? Um, but I want to share something that I was thankful for. Um, many of you know a week and a half ago I was in a, a car accident. And um, there's just so many things, so many ways that I got to see God at work in that accident. Um, I praise God that uh, both of us, and I don't know the other person that, that uh, hit me, um, so my understanding is he's okay as well. Um, but both of us walked away from that accident. Praise God for that. Um, when, uh, praise God for side airbags. As I got hit, I went this way, so my ear was a little red. Um, but the last time I got T-boned and went that way, my, my head went into the window. That was much more painful than the airbag. So praise God for airbags. Biggest praises, though, um, and biggest things that I'm thankful for is that when I got out of the car, um, the first thing that, well, not thing, uh, well, thing, the first thing I see running at me is Ben Gehring's giant head. <laughs> so, and I, I'm sure Ben Gehring's head is no bigger than anybody else's probably, but when you're a little bit out of it and he's running at you, that's kind of what, you, what I saw. And what a blessing to have um, you know, you're out on, I'm out on Bayview Road and you don't really know, I don't really know the area that well up there. Uh, so to have a friendly face that I know running at you, it's just like, oh, praise God. Um, and I was so thankful uh, for Ben being there. I was so thankful that uh, Jasmine, our cleaner here, if you, if you know Jasmine, um, she was actually coming the other way and if she'd been a second later, she would have gotten hit as well. Uh, so praise God that he spared her, that she was missed um, and praise God that next thing I know when Ben's going to check on the other car, I turn around and there's Jasmine. So just being surrounded by support. Um, so just so many things to be thankful for. A minute later, um, Joe Gehring drove down because they live right down the street. And so I was able to go and sit in her truck. And so many ways that I got to see God at work uh, during that time. And, and we just say, praise God. And we say, God is good. And, uh, and all that is true. Praise God and God is good. But this week I've been thinking, is God good because I walked away from the accident? Is God good because there were people around? What if I hadn't walked away from the accident? 
What if I died in that accident? What if I were in a hospital right now paralyzed? Would God still be good? And I hope that the answer that everyone here would say is yes. God is good all the time. Regardless of our circumstances, the circumstances do not dictate the goodness of God. God is good all the time. And most of us, I can't imagine there's anybody in this room probably who would say, no, God is not good if the circumstances don't work out the way we want them to work out. But I think there's probably a lot of us in this room who act as though God is not good if the circumstances don't work out the way we want them to. We stop trusting God. We stop praising God. We start trusting ourselves um, and, and start doing things to take care of ourselves. We have needs in the home, and instead of trusting God to provide or trusting God to help us through, we, maybe we, we steal or we cheat to get what we think we need. From little things to great things, there's so many ways that we can forget that despite the circumstances, God is good. And today, as we uh, continue on in our series about men at work, and women, just like the first week, you're not getting left out of this. This is going to be applicable for everyone, but we're going to be addressing men a lot. Um, this week, we're talking about men at work at church. But I want to change it a little bit. The men at work at church, that little A at there, is going to be men at work as the church. Because I assume that everybody in this room, if you've come to, to church more than a couple times, you probably know by now, this building is not the church. We are the church. Praise God. We are the church. So men, how do we be the church throughout the week? Not just when we come here on Sunday morning. How can we be the church throughout the week. Would you open in your Bibles with me to Colossians 4? We're going to read four, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote, yourself to, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As we pray, would you uh, pray along with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come and spend in your word, Father the time that we get to, to open these Bibles that in so many countries are illegal, Father. In so many of those countries where they're illegal and people are being persecuted for their faith, they are still saying God is good. They are still worshiping you and praising you, Father. And we get the opportunity to come here and do this without any fear of persecution yet, Lord. 
Father, help us to be grateful for that. Help us to remember that every day that, that as we have time to open your word, that we would spend that time in your word daily. Lord, I pray that today you would pour your spirit out on this place, that you would speak to each one of us wherever we're at, Lord. That even if my words fall flat, Lord, that yours wouldn't. Give us ears to hear you, Lord. Give us a heart to receive your message. That despite the words spoken, you would speak truth into our hearts and into our lives. That we would walk here changed and challenged and renewed and a little bit closer to you. Father, I thank you and I praise you and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our three sections today that we're going to talk about in are um, live like Jesus so you can be like Jesus so you can reach others like Jesus. Normally we would put these up one at a time and we would talk about each one and I'll be honest with you, I've spent all week preparing this message and I spent all yesterday going through this message and it, was, uh, it just wasn't feeling right. So I've really struggled with what are we going to do, God? What are you going to speak to us today? And this morning I warned the tech team that uh, this could go way off from notes and stuff like that. <laughs> so, um, but we are going to start with the second one today because I think that it's important to first talk about what does it mean to be like Jesus? You see, talking about that car accident and talking about if, if things didn't go well, if, if, if I didn't get to walk away and go home to my family, if I didn't get to see God at work in all these different ways, would God still be good? Hanging on the cross, Jesus still praised the Father. Jesus still knew the Father was good. So what does it mean when we talk about being like Jesus and, and what can, how can we be like Jesus? And when we, uh, when we talk about the idea of, of holiness, of being like Jesus, this is what I hear so, so often. And I, I'm sure you guys hear this as well, that I can't do it. I can't be holy. We can't, we can't achieve that, that same status that, uh, that God has called us to, you know. I'm going to sin. I'm going to fall. But it's okay. God understands. Because I'm never going to reach that until the next life. And we use that as an excuse. We use that as an excuse. Because in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 17, Peter tells us, and he quotes from the Old Testament, where God tells Israel, be holy as I am holy. God did not set up a standard to watch you fall. God did not set Jesus as the example, and he's not laughing at you because you will never achieve what Jesus achieved. You will never be able to be holy like Jesus was holy because Jesus himself even says that you will do greater things than these. Jesus didn't think that we couldn't achieve that level of holiness. So why do we think that we can never achieve a level of holiness? Why do we think that when we make a mistake, it's okay? 
God's just going to let it go. God will forgive when we ask for forgiveness, but we have to be trying to live holy and righteous lives. Because I read in the book of Acts where Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't hit the bar. They sold a piece of property and they brought most of the money that they made. And it was okay that they didn't bring all the money. But they lied about it. They lied about it to try to elevate themselves. And what did God do? Did God say, that's okay, you're just learning, you're new at this. No, God struck them down. And that was the beginning of Acts. That was to set this whole new, um, we'll call it dispensation, this whole new time that we are called to holiness. They were an example of what we should not do. Christ is the example of who we should be. And that is not an unattainable goal. But it seems like it. We're going to get to why it seems like it in a minute. But we need to be like Jesus because only then will we be able to reach others like Jesus was able to reach others. We also have a sense that what I'm doing is of no value if I'm not saying it to 500 people. Jesus the people he reached, the, the, the group that he really poured into were 12 men. That is what he, he, he put all his energy into, these 12 men. And he didn't care that he didn't have swarms of thousands you know, doing everything that he wanted them to do or that he was teaching them. He poured into these 12 men. One of them fell away. So out of the 12 men he poured into, 11 of them changed the world. 11 men took the message of Jesus Christ and changed the entire world. So much so that this is how we date our years. Everything goes back to to the birth of Jesus. B.C. A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So every year from that we're in now is you know, 2020 in the year of our Lord since Jesus was born. Before he was born, it was all B.C., before Christ. Everything in our world has been dated by the life of Jesus Christ because 11 men that he poured into changed the world. But we think that we're not really doing anything if we are not speaking to hundreds and hundreds Better to have 11 people that you are truly going deep into the word of God with and you are truly growing with and investing in and and helping them to be transformed by the Holy Spirit than to just talk at 500. So we need to be like Jesus so we can reach others like Jesus. So now for the fun part. How do we live like Jesus lived? Because I think that we we look at the New Testament and we we look at Jesus and we, we look at what he did and we try to kind of emulate what he did when he was, we'll say, in the game. 
So we will say the prayer the way Jesus said it. We will, we will pray with people, pray over people. But you know what? That's not how Jesus lived, per se. Dallas Willard, um, I was re- I'm working on reading his book, uh, Disciplines, um, The Spirit of the Disciplines. And what we don't understand about Jesus is that even though he was the son of God, we, we may have this idea that he came and he was already just able to do all this stuff. But Jesus practiced the spiritual disciplines. And Dallas Willard says this, and I want to read to you what Dallas Willard said. He said that Jesus understood the importance of the disciplines and lived his life accordingly. He went on to say, being the unique son of God clearly did not relieve him of the necessity of a life of, a, of preparation. He spent the bulk of his life preparing for his three years of ministry here on earth. To kind of explain what that means, Dallas Willard goes on to, to share an example from today. I'm going to share it differently because I'm going to share it in the way that I know how to share it. I love baseball. I have not always loved baseball, so I didn't play when I was young. Um, when I was young, like as in high school, young. I played, I started playing like church softball and stuff, and I like going to batting cages and things. Uh, but because I didn't grow up playing baseball, you know, I know the basics, swing the ball and hit it, right? But how do you stand? How do you really, how do you really do it well? So, well, of course you watch your favorite players. And I can't remember who, uh, this wasn't my favorite player, but my favorite player was Derek Jeter, and he had a crazy swing. His was just nuts. So um, I think it may have been Frank Thomas, but I'm not 100% sure. But this is how he swung. I'm going to embarrass myself here, but it's not Cuban dancing, so we're okay up here. <laughs> so he, he puts all the weight you know, on this leg here. And he gets the bat up, and this toe gets pointed out, and he, got, he has the bat up here. And when that ball comes, he lifts the leg, he puts it down, he swings. Bam, it's out of the park. I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. So we get in the game, and I got my leg down every single time, you know, tap the, the mound, the, the dirt a few times, and, and get that up there. And that ball comes, and I lift the leg, and I swing. Bam, makes it out of the infield. Generally, I could get a base hit, but I was younger and fast still. Um, So generally, I could get on first base, but I never could hit it out of the park. And if I got any air on that ball at all, it was going right to an outfielder. But why? I watched what he did. I did exactly what he did during the game. Why could I not hit the ball out of the park? And Woody later on is going to tell me because I had no muscles like the player did or <laughs> going to give me a hard time probably. <laughs> it's, all timing. it's all timing. Yeah, that's it too. I didn't have the timing. Here's what I didn't do that that player did. I looked at him during the game and I tried to copy what he did during the game. We need to look and what the people we're trying to emulate do throughout the week. Because if the only time we are practicing doing what we want to do is during the game, we are never going to get it. So why, for us as believers, 
Can we not live holy lives? Why can we not pray over people and see miracles the way Jesus saw miracles, the way he performed them? I mean, he was, he was making the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame the, to walk. He was making leopards, lepers clean. He was raising people from the dead. But throughout the week, he was practicing all the disciplines that we don't want to actually put the work into practice. I wanted to be able to hit the baseball the way that player could hit the baseball. But come on, it was church softball. I wasn't going to invest a whole lot of time doing it. But we are talking about the salvation of this world. We are talking about following the commands that God has given us to be holy. We are talking about things that matter. And yet all perhaps we are willing to do is try to act like Jesus once we get into the game. And you know, if, uh, if you leave here today and you, and, you, and you do that, if you go out and you do some good deeds, that's great, you've done some good deeds, you should do some good deeds, okay? But the reality is, is that we need to practice the disciplines the way that Jesus practiced the disciplines. John Wesley calls these disciplines the means of grace. And there's seven of them. I'm going to tell you six of them because I can't remember the seventh one. <laughs> so, um, they are prayer, fasting, the reading of scripture, uh, public worship, and uh, abstinence, and uh, the sacraments. We know that Jesus prayed. We have so many passages. Uh, Mark 1, I believe it's Mark 1, Jesus gets up early in the morning and he goes and he prays. See if I can find these in here. In Matthew 6 and Matthew 11 and, and many other verses, we see how Jesus prayed. In Matthew 14 and Luke 24, we see that Jesus prayed before he ate meals. And in, in Matthew 6, going back, we, we even see the, the Lord's Prayer. That's where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And in Matthew 14, again, in Luke 6, we see Jesus praying in the evening. Again, going out to be alone, to spend time in prayer with the Father. We see Jesus wake up and pray. We see him pray before he eats. We see him pray before he goes to bed. We know he prays all throughout the day. If there is one thing that characterizes Jesus, it's prayer. It's spending that time with the Father. Jesus is adamant that I and the Father, I and the Father are one, and that's why he is able to do all that he does. We must be in prayer. The second one, fasting. We know that Jesus fasted. He fasted for 40 days uh, when he was out in the wilderness, right before he was being tempted. We we're going to be tempted. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus fasted. If you do not believe in the power of, of fasting, I want to share a story with you. 